and um, I'm Betty McKinney, and glad that you've joined us. We are continuing on in the book of Acts and just getting so much from it. Um, Just in the last few chapters, we read about how Paul and Barnabas decided to go back to check on churches they had established in places like Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And this morning, if you heard Frank, Dr. Frank, who is usually known as Friday Frank, but we're kind of switching things up a little bit. So you got Friday Betty today, <laughs> and Frank was on Wednesday. But Frank talked about, from the in the end of Acts chapter 15, about the division that occurred between Paul and Barnabas. And what ended up happening out of that is that Barnabas went with his nephew, John Mark, and Paul teamed up with Silas. So you ended up with two teams going out, um, spreading the gospel, and you find out later in Second Timothy, the book of Second Timothy, that they come back together. And, um, you know, there's reconciliation, there's, there's been teamwork, but, you know, sometimes we go through those partings and then coming back together, God has a way of doing that. So we're going to move on now to Acts chapter 16, which is a chapter out of the New Testament that I personally love. I have um, I've just used this as a life lesson, not only for myself, but in counseling and sharing with people, especially young people. It, it teaches us so much. There are such excellent principles for life and for ministry and following the Lord. Um, in Acts chapter 16. So I was pretty excited when I found out my time landed on this. So in Acts 16, 1 through 3, let's read that. And he, meaning Paul, came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here we meet Timothy who becomes a very important part of Paul's life. He became very dear to Paul. In fact, he became like a son to him. And that's not the main focus of this study, but let's just meet Timothy a little bit. Let's, let's take a few minutes and meet Timothy. And, you know, I love the Bible, the, the keyword study Bible I use because it gives really good background on each, uh, each book of the Bible, and I'm, I really couldn't improve upon it. So I'm just going to read a paragraph here that talks a little bit about Timothy to, to meet Timothy. Paul added Timothy to his party as he traveled with Silas, who had replaced Barnabas. Timothy probably replaced John Mark, whom Paul had refused to take. To avoid criticism from local Jews, Timothy was circumcised before setting out on his journeys. Timothy was first assigned to minister to the believers in Thessalonica. He was associated with Paul and Silvanus in the greetings of both epistles directed to the church and was present with Paul during his preaching at Corinth. He is next heard of during the Apostles' Ephesian ministry when he was sent on another important mission to Macedonia, 
From there, he was to proceed to Corinth. Apparently, Timothy was of a timid nature, hence the admonition of Paul to encourage him. Timothy also went with Paul on the journey to Jerusalem with the collection and is next heard of when Paul, then a prisoner, wrote Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. When Paul was released from imprisonment and engaged in further activity in the east, as the epistles indicate, it would seem that Paul left Timothy at Ephesus. We know that, right? We know Paul became, or Timothy became, the pastor in Ephesus. And Paul commissioned him to deal with false teachers and to supervise public worship and the appointment of church officials. Although Paul evidently hoped to rejoin Timothy, the fear that he might be delayed occasioned the writing of the first letter to him, which is 1 Timothy. This was followed by another when Paul was not only rearrested but put on trial for his life. We have no indication as to whether Timothy was able to go to Paul as Paul had urged him. Later, Timothy himself became a prisoner, as Hebrews 13 shows, but no details are given. All of this to say, Timothy stuck with Paul to the very end, and Paul thought of him as a dear son. So we see that as Paul takes on Timothy for his mission team, he wanted him to go with him, but the first thing he did before they set out was have him circumcised. <laughs> this shows he's a subservient, uh, submitted young man who is willing to do whatever it takes. Remember, his father was a Greek, so he was considered a Gentile, and he had not been circumcised. Why would Paul insist that his young helper, Timothy, be circumcised? Well, there could be various reasons, but the one that jumps out on to me is for the purpose of fellowship so that Timothy would not be seen as some sort of half-breed. I don't know if that's a, a good term these days, but so that he would be perceived, perceived as a Jew and not be seen as, you know, are you one or the other? So he wouldn't be perceived as a, a half-breed. Sometimes... We just have to do things for the sake of others. And if you listen to Art Druckenmiller this morning, he talked about that various thing. And so I love to steal things from Art or from anybody else that's got a great point. So I took note when I was listening to Art of 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul writes um, about this very thing of having to sometimes do things for the sake of the gospel and the sake of others even though it isn't what you particularly would choose or want to do. And in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, beginning with with verse 19, Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law though not myself being under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I 
may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel. So this explains to me pretty well the mindset that Paul had saying, Timothy, before we set out as a team, you need to be circumcised and just do this for the sake of others. Amen? So going on now in chapter 16 of Acts, verse 4. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the disciples and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Remember that? We did that last time. They gave them four things they needed to observe. Don't eat things full of blood. Don't eat things that are strangled. Don't eat food offered to idols. Flee from immorality. (coughs) So while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering these decrees. And verse 5, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Isn't that something we would love to see? (laughs) That they're presenting a gospel that is not so heavy laden with rules and do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that, (laughs) but also a gospel that um, urged them to move away from their wretched paganism, which had also been a form of great bondage, and just come together with the, the Hebraic message, which is God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to send his son Jesus to die for you and receive him and join the family of God. Amen? So now we come to the part of the story, to me, which has been so helpful, so applicable, some principles that I believe will help you in your life and especially in your call and your your journey of faith. Paul, um, as I said, had completed a first missionary journey. And even though there was much persecution in those cities that he went to on that first missionary journey, we see that there was a lot of fruit, too. There were churches established, and we just read that the churches were strengthened and were increasing in number daily. So his first missionary journey had been a great success, lots of fruit, lots to be encouraged about. So Paul's initial thought is, let's go back. Let's go back to them. That's not a bad idea. Paul had a good idea. Paul had a good thought. Paul had a good motivation. Let's keep nurturing them. Let's keep feeding into them. Let's keep helping them grow. And that's a lot of times where we are. As we're saying, God, I want you to use me. I feel a call on my life. I I, I want to make a difference. We're not sure where to begin. We're not sure which direction to go. We just say, Lord, I want to serve. Um, Lord, this seems like a good idea. I see some people going on a mission trip here. I think it would be a good idea to to go there. Um, People can do this kind of corporately. They can say, hey, let's do this. (laughs) We see a need over here to, to meet a need. Let's get ourselves together and let's do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a beginning point to have a good thought, a good idea, something that stirs you to say, this is what I think I want to do. This is how I think God might want me to serve him. So that's where Paul, the apostle Paul, is at. So when he's saying, let's go back, 
let's let's get the geography a little bit. Antioch is right above Israel. It's what would be today in Lebanon, the, the nation of Lebanon. So when he says, let's go back, he's talking about let's go back to two provinces, two areas, one called Frisia and the other called Galatia. So that means they would be going north from Antioch and they would be going right. Um, They would be going into, in that day, what was called Asia Minor, what would be called today Turkey, Um, pretty much eastern Turkey, still part of the Middle Middle East. Yeah, still part of what we would today call the Middle East, eastern Turkey. So here is the first principle. I'm going to give you some principles that we can live by out of Acts 16. And there's so much here, I think Pastor Kyung could get up and give you a whole bunch of different principles. And Pastor Rick could, you know, there's so much here. But these are the basic principles that I have found useful to myself and useful in helping others. The first principle is just start. Just, just begin something. People will say, oh, I want to serve the Lord. I've, I've told him I'm his for, for service. Do something with my life, Lord. My whole life is yours. So I'm just going to sit on the couch and I'm going to wait till you tell me what to do. Guess what? Not much happens. You might be sitting there a long, long time. You might go through a lot of bags of Doritos. <laughs> just waiting I'm waiting to hear where God wants to send me. And sometimes I've used kind of a <laughs> an analogy. I'm not sure if this sounds right or not, but even God doesn't steer a parked car. You know? So the, the first principle is just get in that car. Turn the key and start to move. And then God can get involved and say, turn right and turn left. But if you're not even going to just crank it if you're not even going to just start it you can sit there a long time and unfortunately I think especially in our generation the generation I've lived I'm 62 I'm not just talking about millennials I'm talking about this has been a mindset that I've seen throughout my life we like the five-year plan we like the 10-year plan Lord just tell me where you're going to take me and then I'll begin Lord, just give me this, this road map that you're showing me. You're going to send me off to here and I will establish this kind of ministry and I'll do this kind of work. And once I have it all kind of mapped out, then I'll start. We really like the five-year plan, the ten-year plan. And I've heard so many people say to me, well, I'm afraid I'm going to miss it. I, I, I want to know what God has for me to do, so I'm not going to do anything till I hear from him because I'm afraid I'll miss it. And I will say to them, you are going to miss it if you're just going to sit there and wait for the 10-year plan because I'm sorry, he rarely gives you the 10-year plan. <laughs> Amen? So principle number one is just move. Just start something. And that's what Paul did here. He said, Let's go back and visit them. Let's head out. Let's load up our donkeys and our camels and our our sleeping gear and our water and let's just get on the road. Seems like a good idea. 
So then what happens? They're, they're out on the road. They're heading north. They're, they're heading to the right. They're heading towards Asia Minor. And in verse 6, And as they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they've got sermons. They've got messages. They've got workbooks. They've got <laughs> DVDs. they got everything to begin spreading the word. And somehow the Holy Spirit says, stop, don't do it. I don't know how this happened. We don't get much information of exactly how the Holy Spirit forbade them, but the message was clear. It was gentle. It was what we would call from 1 Corinthians 12, a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom pertains to revelation from God pertaining to things future. And he is saying, nope, you're not going to go this way. Stop. Um. But the neat thing is, they're already in motion. If they just sat home and said, which direction should we go, they might still be sitting there. (laughs) But because they were in motion, the Holy Spirit was able then to come in and say, no, stop. So this comes to principle number two. God's correction is not God's punishment. When God corrects our course... It's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he says, oh, you're so wrong. It's not because he says, oh, you're so willful. I mean, that might be another area that you have to deal with in your life. But when we're talking in this kind of context, God's correction is not his punishment. I want you to hear that. There's many of you there that have started on something thinking, this sounds like a good idea. I want to serve God this way and then... The Holy Spirit anointing just didn't come. The uh, God's blessing didn't come, and so you think, oh, I did something terribly wrong. Oh, God isn't with me anymore. Those are wrong concepts. Um, God guides us while we're in motion. And if you're not being stopped, sometimes that means you're not moving. You're not moving in faith if, if there's no opportunity for God to say, nope, I'm going to correct course. We have promises in the word that he is the one who speaks into our ear and says, I'll I'll help you, I'll guide you to the right and to the left. He, He wants to be in that process of guiding our steps as we're going. So God's correction is not his punishment. We want to welcome his correction in our lives. We want to say, here I go, God. I'm starting now. If I start going the wrong way, please get my attention and and help me course correct. So that happens in verse 6. But Paul is still like, but I still want to go there because I don't know what else to do. He has no other ideas. He has no other revelation, not yet. So he's still like, okay, I, I heard you say, Holy Spirit, You're forbidding me, but I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to keep moving. So in verse 7, And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, if we had a map here, I could show you. They started in Antioch. They started to go north, curving 
to the right, heading to the more to the east, northeast. And then, well, okay, the Spirit of Jesus stopped them, so he says, okay, let's kind of course correct and go further north. Bithynia is up above Galatia and Phrygia. Um, so he tries again, you know, well, let's go further north. And it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. I don't know what that looked like. Did Jesus sort of appear to them in spirit form? How does this differ from being forbidden by the Holy Spirit in verse 6 and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them in verse 7? We don't get a lot of information about exactly how the Spirit of Jesus manifested himself. But it's very clear that Jesus says, nope, that's still not the direction I want you to go. Don't go this way. Don't go straight north. They still don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Keep going. Just keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep saying, Lord, you will direct me to the right and the left. I'm not going to take this as a personal insult. I'm not going to let confusion come over me. I'm not going to let condemnation come over me because I don't know all things. I'm just going to keep moving, believing that you will order my steps. Amen? And this is, again, why I have this has been so precious to me because I run into so many people that have perhaps come on a mission trip with us. They've received a call to ministry. They're utterly devoted. I want to serve the Lord. And when things don't seem to be falling into place the way they thought they would, they become discouraged and said, "Well, and say, um, guess I got it all wrong. <laughs> uh, I guess I I really missed it." And their temptation is just to quit, just go back, just kind of bail. And so I have been able to use this scripture as an encouragement to say, "No, follow this pattern of Paul, of just keep on going, keep on going." God's going to, he's going to direct you and guide you. So they did. It says, and passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So they kept on going. They wanted the Holy Spirit to lead them, but they, so they kept on going. But now Troas on our map is 800 to 90, 900 miles southwest. So that's where they take the big left turn. Instead of going right and then north, they turn left and they turn south to Troas. So now they are no longer in what was called in biblical times Asia Minor, which was the Middle East or Turkey today. Now they're on the coast of the Aegean Sea, which divides modern-day Turkey from Greece. It divides the Middle East from Europe. Now that they are there at Troas and they're going, what are we doing here? <laughs> we, this was not on our radar, which, by the way, is one of God's favorite things, is to put you where you either thought you'd never be or where you said you'd never be. <laughs> There's one good way to get your prayer answered. Say, I will never do this. <laughs> Watch out. You t- that might be the very place you end up. 
And more often it's to just say, I, I'm just not equipped to do that. That's not my field. That's not my wheelhouse. That's not my where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable serving this way. Oh, God loves that. That's his favorite thing, is to take us in a place that feels comfortable and natural to us and put us in a place that's so uncomfortable and so unnatural that he can do the supernatural. He did that with me one time when Rick called me up. I was still living in Montana, and I was flying back and forth between Montana and Brazil. And he said, the Aldersgate Renewal Ministries wants to do a Life in the Spirit seminar in Brazil, and I want you to go as the spiritual director, the, um, the bishop of the Rio de Janeiro area, is calling together all of his pastors and saying this is a mandated meeting. You have to be there. <laughs> I'm going, I'm a short blonde girl from Montana, and I have to stand in front of 250 Brazilian pastors who had to give up their weekend and are told they have to be at this meeting and say, aren't you glad you're here? <laughs> I have a whole bunch to teach you. And I went... And I worked with this wonderful team from Aldersgate. And at first, the pastor's reaction was like, why do we have to be here? Who are you people? What can we ever possibly learn from you? And God just gave us an anointing. He did things in me and through me that I had never seen before. I was like having an out-of-body experience like, what happened to Betty? Who is this person? Because God moved through in a supernatural way that was so outside my comfort zone. He got all the glory. Pentecost happened that weekend. It was it was amazing. There are still ripple effects happening from that meeting in, I think it was 2005. So I learned from that. God loves to take us from the place where we say, here's where I fit. Here's where I think I can serve him best and where what I my skill set or whatever we use, this is where it will really really magnify God. And he says, No, I'm gonna throw you in a direction where you're totally lost because that's where I you are totally dependent on me and that's where I can come through. So they are there sitting in Troas, lovely place on the Aegean Sea, going, What are we doing here? And verse 9, and in a vision, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia, which is Greece, was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is the next principle is... Um, I guess, I don't know if it's a different principle. Maybe I'm just reemphasizing the principle. If you just keep moving in faith, like our little map is, just do what's in front of you. Paul had no idea this was going to happen. Macedonia, it didn't even cross his radar. But if you keep doing what's right in front of you, you might think you're going to the right. You end up going to the left. It's okay. As long as you are flexible, sometimes it's not enough to be flexible. You have to be fluid. <laughs> and you have to be willing to be, to be redirected. You have to be willing to be changed. 
And so here he is, intro as, and now comes clear direction. Before we just had the Spirit saying, no, don't, do, don't come here. Before we just had the Spirit saying, that's not the right direction, but they didn't know where to go. Now they get the call. Now they get the specifics. Now they get the detail. Sometimes we have to wait a while for that. We want all it all spelled out. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But he wants us to live independent, um, dependent on him, not independent. So he likes to keep us in the dark. <laughs> and we're saying, I'll give you the details when it's time to get the details. And what a, what a relief after all this journey to finally get details, specific direction. Um, so he gives a call to Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That was the call. Let me tur- take you back to Luke 9 for a second and read a scripture there. Jesus told us, if, you, if you're looking for a call, you say, Lord, I want to serve you and I need you to tell me what my call is. You want to know what your call is? You ever ask, Lord, I need a call. What's my call? I'll give it to you. Luke 9:23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, which doesn't just mean deny comforts and salary and home and whatever. It means what I want. <laughs> deny myself, my will, what I think, what I want, what I feel. And take up his cross daily and follow me. I get a little nervous when people say, I have a call to Africa. I have a call to, and they can detail what their call is. Jesus said here, what your call is, is to follow him. Follow him. And guess what? Jesus can change where he's going at any time. He may call you to follow him to Africa for a period of time. And then he may say, I'm changing it. Now we're going to go here. (laughs) But if you are so set on, oh no, my call is to Africa. This is where God called me. You may find yourself literally resisting the call of God because you have superimposed your will, your emotions, your thoughts over Jesus. And that's where Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. It doesn't just mean deny all the things that make life all come. It means myself, me. I get in the way of following Jesus' call when I think I know what it's supposed to be. If he's God, he has the freedom to send me right, then north, then left, then further left, right? If he's Jesus and I say, Lord, I'm, fo- I'm a Jesus follower, then he, following him means follow him. And that, that just helps us so much. It frees us from thinking we have to know what our call is. And to the death, this is what I have to do. It really frees us to just say, I just have to follow Jesus. And he may take me several places. So to finish this up, this, this section up, And, oh, I just see Paul's excitement here. He has to have been frustrated over these 
months that it took to cover this much ground and still being impressed by the Spirit of Jesus. Nope, nope, this isn't where I want you to go. So it says in verse 10, And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Two words, immediately, like in the middle of the night. (laughs) They got up out of bed, packed up their stuff, and caught the first ship they could find across the Aegean Sea. The second word is we. Who wrote the who wrote the book of Acts? Scholars? Luke. So here we know Luke joins the party. Luke has been reporting, he's been giving this account of all the things that happened, but now Luke is in on the mission team. So those are two key words there. Um, and I love the immediately. Why is that so important in the principles we're learning here about how God leads us, how God directs us, because if you don't move immediately, you can start to second-guess yourself. And James, the leader of the church in, um, in Jerusalem, he writes about that. Let me get here to James. James chapter 1, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Simply put, you can talk yourself out of it. If you say, well, okay, that sounds good, Lord, but first I've got to do this, and I have to do that, and what about this, and what about that, and I'm not sure I heard you quite clearly. You can get yourself to where you're so double-minded that you have heard clearly from God, but you've confused yourself and talked your, yourself out of it. Amen? So that's why I love this word immediately. When a word from God comes, obey it immediately, and you will not have confusion. When people have come to me over the years and just said, I'm struggling with so much confusion, uh, I stole this unabashedly from Oswald Chambers. I did not have this wisdom of my own. I got it from Oswald Chambers. He writes in My Utmost for His Highest, he says, you can never think your way out of confusion. You can only obey your way out of confusion. So if you're experiencing confusion... But, but I think God wants me to do that, but I don't know. But then this, but then that. Go back to when you knew. Go back to what you know that you know God said. might be six months ago. It might be a year ago. It might be five years ago. Go back to when you had clarity. And the wisdom of God came to you and start again there. And confusion will flee. You can't think your way out of confusion. You can only obey your way out of confusion. So Paul jumped on it immediately before a thought could come in. Greece? Macedonia? (laughs) That's not where I see myself. Um, So to finish up, therefore, I'm in verse 11, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. So now he's on specific direction. He's in Greece. He's in Europe. Not where he thought he'd end up, but now he's where God had been leading him. And in 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the the gate, to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Remember, before, Paul was always going to the synagogue, which usually got him in big trouble. (laughs) But he was always going to find people in the synagogue to share them. Well, he's in Greece. This is not a Jewish area. There's not a synagogue. But where did people meet? Apparently, they met down by the river. That's where they would meet for prayer. So he went down to where they supposed that there would be people gathering for prayer. And they spent time there. You know, they just hung out there. Because now they have peace. We are where God has been leading us since we started out on this second missionary journey. And I imagine they're spending time in fasting. They're spending time in prayer. They're finding opportunities for ministry. It's starting to click. It's starting to work. And here they have their first big divine appointment. Um, and it's, it's the gospel we know is now going to move into Europe. It's going to move into the Western world. That's how it got to you and me here in the United States. So you just look at Paul's obedience here going the directions he went and ending up over here, you see how God just brought things full circle. Because I'm not going to get into this. This will be for the next time. But he has a divine appointment with a woman named Lydia. Lydia was from the city of Thyatira, which is in, guess where? Asia Minor, where Paul first thought he was going to go and do all these great things. Um, Thyatira is one of the seven churches in Asia Minor where Jesus sends a message. If you look at Revelation 2, 18 through 29, Jesus sends a very strong message to the church in Thyatira. To me, this just brings things full circle. Do you see that? He thought he'd go there. Instead, God takes him over here to Greece where he meets a woman named Lydia who's from there. And there's full circle. So when one of the lessons, one of the principles from this whole story is when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, when we're fluid enough, when we are dependent enough, when we're trusting enough to just get in motion, do what's in front of us, let him correct us, you never know how far and how great those steps are going to take you and how it can bring some things that you thought in your little mind full circle into a much bigger picture than you first imagined. And fruit will multiply and multiply and multiply. So I hope you've gotten something out of this. I think it is just a marvelous life lesson, faith lesson as to how how to approach hearing a call from God, desiring to serve God, and being willing to do it His way 
and not your way. So God bless you. We will see you. We will see you next time. This is Betty McKinney with Responsive Ministries. Bye-bye. So amazes me As I watch the world